Welcome to the Cashflow Guys Podcast. Welcome to the Cashflow Guys Podcast. I hope you know who this is and you should know where you are. This is Tyler Sheff and I am the host of the cat, co-host, I should say, of the Cashflow Guys Podcast here with Mike Marino. How you doing, brother? And here's the other co-co-co-host, Mike Marino. Co-chief. <laughs> Co-chief, yeah. Life's good out here in the wintertime, man. I'm starting to like this uh, winter in Colorado. Oh, not me, brother. I, I, I can't take the snow. Ooh. <laughs> no, you just stay in your 32-degree uh, Florida forest. That's right. Yeah. yeah. I didn't know snow, though. That- <laughs> That's right. Oh, geez. So you've been out there in the hot springs? Yeah, Janelle heard her back the other day. So we've been going uh, to the hot springs, which is like around 120. And then we jump into the the river, which is probably like 34. So we go back and forth, back and forth. And, you know, I, I, I see your face. I see your face. You know what? It's it's only painful for the first 30 seconds. Then after that, you get so numb. We ended up staying in the river for 44 minutes. Oh, my God. And, yeah. And then we jump in the hot springs and your whole body is just like. <laughs> so does, that, does it cure her back pain because she pulls every other muscle in her body that she can't feel the back pain? <laughs> oh, my God. No, thank you. I'm not a polar plunge kind of guy. That's for sure. You know, I wasn't either. It's definitely something you build into. You build up to, you know, I had to do it like 10 seconds and 20, 30, 40. Now we're up to four minutes. It's funny. This, this week during Christmas and New Year's, we were up at our cabin and I was just showing you photographs. We remod, we didn't really remodel. We, we modeled, I guess we built out a kitchen in our uh, cookhouse. We've got a big uh, building out back where we meet and have our, our meeting table and where I cook meals and all that. And I never really had a proper kitchen. So we built one beautiful countertop. And one thing I didn't tell you, Mike, so we brought a, I, I got a, com- a commercial ice machine under the counter. Yep. So when we harvest game, I've got an ice machine right there. I can make all the ice I want, fill the coolers and all the whole nine yards. Well, I plumbed fresh water the last week during Christmas and New Year's into the building and everything works great. No problem. I got a lot of experience doing plumbing, electrical, all that. No big deal. So Jill gets done building the countertop and she literally duplicated a butcher block countertop that we already had uh, and used cedar beautiful cedar to cut it out of cedar planks to make it look just like the other butcher block table is really cool and um she gets it all set to epoxy and then all of a sudden i hear this poof and i hear her screaming at the top of her lungs it was 36 degrees out and apparently when i put together the piping inside the new building i forgot to to seal one of the connections i didn't put pipe dope on one of the connections on the CPVC and I didn't glue it. Apparently it, it held for like three days. I've, I've been running the ice maker for three days, but that morning it got cold enough where it decided to let loose and it blew water all over the place. Jill got a face pressure. full, huh? Oh, she got drenched in the cold. So she was not a happy camper. I of course could not keep my composure and burst out <laughs> And then I was in trouble for about 24 hours. <laughs> No, I saw the picture. It looks gorgeous. That's nice. Yeah, it turned out nice. She's real good at that stuff. And I figured the the best way to get fine woodworking done at my cabin is to invite my best one of my best friends, Jim. Oh Uh, put Jim and Jill together wherever the project is, and then Tyler goes in the woods. (laughs) (laughs) I'm the electrician and the plumber. She's the 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 fine woodworking person. I don't do the fine woodworking stuff. You'll you'll get the meat and they'll build the kitchen. Gotcha. There you go. Exactly. As it should be. (laughs) As it should be. So what are we going to talk about this week, Mike? I like this topic. 
uh, master leasing. Yes. Control without ownership, to be specific. Yes, I'm using it right now. I love it. I love the idea. But uh, we actually had a conversation right before this. We hit record. And you opened up my eyes that I always thought leasing, you, you lose you lose control, you lose ownership, you lose um, power, is in power, like collateral power to go get a loan for whatnot. But you made some good points I'm excited to share with our audience about there's a lot more uh, power that you can get from leasing that than you would traditionally think. It's not just like a rental situation. Well, let's dive in. Yeah. I, I like this topic. I've, you probably heard me talk about it in the uh, podcast before. Actually, I know you have because some people have been calling me asking how I'm doing this pilot crash pad in Vegas, believe it or not. <laughs> uh, you know who you are out there. You're trying to pick my brain, but I don't mind sharing. It's fine. It's That's fine. Right. It's, it's a big C. And honestly, I'm pretty excited to share some of the things I've learned, lessons learned, uh, hard times, good times. That's what we're all about with this with this podcast, kind of share that. So yeah, I've got a pilot crash pad in Las Vegas. Basically, pilots uh, in between flights, they need a place to stay if they don't live there like myself. I live in Colorado, not Vegas. And you know, it's kind of like their lone little room for rent, I guess you would call it, to for anybody who's not used to it. Uh, it's been working great, but this isn't the first year I've been trying it out. So before going out and well, everybody knows right now it's it's a high hurdle right now to get into the market, right? That the barrier of entry is kind of high, especially on a concept. This is my first time trying it. So I was like, you know what? Let me do a master lease wherein I find a landlord who's looking to uh, lease his property and he's unable to get his lease price. So I come in, hey, I'm able to afford that plus a little bit more because I've got a slightly different strategy. And so far, it's been working out great. Like I said, I just signed a one-year lease. I wish I signed a five-year lease now because the, <laughs> the model is blowing up. I've got a waiting list. I don't think I told you, Tyler. About uh, three three long right now. And I really hate turning people down. But anyway, um, the idea of the master lease helped me out to, to kind of fine-tune this model. Even though I don't have ownership, I have control. And so I'm making a profit right now, and I'm happy about that. And more importantly, with the master lease, I'm able to scale a lot faster because I don't have to do my 20% down, 40% down in some cases. I can get started immediately. So one of the things that um, I love about how you structured this initially was you only went in for 12 months. And you, you know, when you went into that, you realized the risk, right? You could always have the landlord not renew the lease. But when you're starting out a new business per se, um, you will, it, there's nothing wrong with testing the water. And for you, Mike, you didn't, you weren't doing a lot of, you weren't doing any construction or build out. It basically came down to buying furnishings, correct? Yeah. Just bought the furnishing, okay. the barriers. That was it. So if you're the person that let's say you're going to do a lot of improvements, like you know, a lot of folks that are doing Airbnb, I see they're buying these or they're getting into these leases, but the buildings themselves need a lot of work, the houses, the apartments, whatever. And they're doing a lot of improvements on the front end. Mike, you were, Mike wasn't doing that. He just went into a place that's already nice. It just needed to be furnished up. And the, that's why it makes sense for him on day one to do that 12-month lease. If the place needed a lot of work and Mike was going to make that investment, then he would need to capitalize that out. And from that perspective, he would probably need to get into a significantly longer lease to be able to basically earn back the, the revenue on that, right? And I wouldn't tell anybody listening to this that 
you should on day one go find a crappy property trying to turn it into a pilot crash pad and then lease it for 10 years. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that then the next one, Mike can probably go to a property that's in a great neighborhood that needs a lot of work, take the get the property leased, do improvements to a certain degree, and how much of a degree that is depends on his business plan. But he can go in on day one and control it much longer. Maybe it's a five or a 10-year lease. Maybe it's a 15. Maybe it's a 99-year lease, whatever it may be, because he's proven his business concept. He's proven his model. He knows this works. He can replicate this over and over and over again. And there's really not a shortage of a, there, there's a, well, there's a big shortage of available units, which only furthers his business plan. When we're getting into these things, after that first year, once you've proved your business model, at that point, it behooves all of you listening to get longer leases, better, better benefit for you. Like we're the ALFs that we we're looking at, when we build them out, we're going to lease them to operators. Now, we want to set them up with a five-year lease for more than just the fact that we want to receive lease payments for five years. But to be honest with you, Mike and I aren't really concerned whether or not they wait five years to buy us out, provided that they buy us out. They can buy us out in two if the math makes sense. And that's something that's a point of negotiation on the front end. If it makes sense for that operator to buy us out, then so be it. We can work that out. Because the profit, ladies and gentlemen, is made on the acquisition when you're a developer, right? Understand that. It's made on the front end. Uh, now, Mike, with your business model, like I said, you weren't doing a whole lot, really any construction. You're already set up. And one of the things that you've gone through is that you have, now you're looking at putting a second one in place. And it looks like your landlord may wind up not renewing your lease, basically because He's found out how lucrative this is, and he wants to do it for himself. You can't see, but I'm shaking my head. Yep. Right. <laughs> but, you know, when you and I first talked about that, it's like when you first mentioned it, I'm like, I told you flat out, I'm like, he's not going to renew the lease. I know. And the backstory of this, guys, just so you're clear, is that, and this does happen from time to time, but the landlord has seen Mike's business model. He's seen what Mike has done with the place, took it from, it used to be an Airbnb, by the way, the guy had ran it as an Airbnb before yep. Mike took it over. And then Mike took it over and made it beautiful. And it wasn't bad before, but it was, that's a lot better now that Mike's got it dialed in. And uh, actually I think Jill got involved in some of that as far as helping you out with. Oh furnishing. yeah. I'm not good with interior design colors, but Jill came to the rescue with there. Right. Yeah. So they got it looking The two of them worked together on it. Jill's not, we just as a helping out as a friend. And uh, now the the owner of the property is like, well, damn, that that looks pretty good. It's my prediction that he's not going to renew the lease. But here's the thing. That's okay. Because the only downside of that is Mike has to spend a day watching movers move the stuff over to a different property with better terms. Yeah. And I'll clarify, he might not renew the lease because he's confident that he can copycat what I'm doing. Right. In fact, what this came from is, is that he has another property that he wanted Mike to rent but it didn't fit into Mike's business model. And being a savvy investor, Mike said, this does not work for me, this location. So, you know, he decided to go, well, the heck with you. I mean, the guy's an engineer. He knows everything. He decided to go ahead and do it himself. When you're looking at somebody who's doing it successfully, like Mike is, and the guy, logic would dictate, considering this guy is definitely a, I can do everything myself kind of guy. He's probably not going to renew Mike's lease, but there's always an upside of that. And this, this one's pretty glaring. Mike can now, knowing his business model is proven, the next property he goes to, he can say to the landlord, Mr. Landlord, I will rent it for five years, 10 years, whatever it may be, because the concept of the business model is proven. Now he just has to find the individual property to make, to make, for it to make sense. 
And that's a huge value. When you can come to a landlord and say, I will rent this place for the next 10 years, especially from a commercial perspective, I have a proven business model. I'm going to make these improvements, whatever. And I'm going to give you a guaranteed stream of income with maybe annual increases built in, right? Uh, to continue to boost the rent, to give the landlord incentive to do that. Now that means Mike does not have to worry about anything changing. His expenses are fixed for the next 5, 10, 20 years, whatever it may be. That's a huge thing. That's a beautiful thing. Yeah. I want to add this. So my initial intent was to lease it for a year, get the business model up and running, which it is skyrocketing. And then my my plan was, okay, well, I'm going to go out and buy something and repeat the same thing. But honestly, the master lease idea, yes, there's pros and cons to buying, but there's pros and cons to leasing. And right now, the, the leasing is not bad. Matter of fact, right now in today's kind of market cycle, like I said, the barrier of entry is very low. And with the, if I continue doing master leases, I can multiply my profits a lot faster than I could have if I went out and for a flat out purchase other properties. So because of that, let's talk about Tyler and I, about the differences about from an owning standpoint, a leasing versus owning or from a control standpoint. I want to do some math real quick before we go into that. What is the fair market value of that house ballpark? Oh, Zillow said uh, three sixty. So we'll put three hundred sixty thousand dollars in there. Uh, let's see, ten to be. Let's say we put. I'm going to do three hundred thousand because we're going to put a down payment. So we'll say three hundred thousand dollars. Oops, left to zero off. But guys, what I'm doing is I'm going to I'm going to do an amortization on that. Interest rates right now are around seven percent. We're going to do a thirty year loan, and then we have taxes and insurance. So, Mike, what are you expending right now a month in, in rent? Twenty six hundred. With taxes and insurance to buy this property after putting 20% down, which would be about $60,000, $70,000 cash money out of pocket on day one. Mike, first of all, well, how much out of pocket cash did you have to put down to lease the property? To lease it? the lease. Yeah. Uh, I just had to put uh, first and security. So security was 26. So what is that? Uh, five grand. So to lease it would cost Mike five grand. Yeah. Day one, cash out of pocket. To buy it would cost Mike 70 grand. To lease it costs you how much? 2600. Okay, 2600. To buy it, taxes and insurance will be closer to 4 grand. That's principal principal interest, taxes and insurance. So with those numbers in mind, ladies, ladies and gentlemen at home, what is the advantage in this scenario of owning? Mike, I'm going to ask you the same question. What's the advantage of buying that house right now versus renting? The only advantage is knowing that I don't have to I can renew my lease. Right now, I'm not sure if he's going to renew it. By buying it, that's the only, well, that's not the only one. I lose out on appreciation of the property. True. And, and potentially what I thought, I thought it would lose out on depreciation. It is possible that depreciation rights can be transferred by lease. You're going to need to talk to your tax professional about that. Have, you know, I've asked 10 different tax professionals. I've got 10 different answers. It's about a 50-50 shot, I can tell you, in the years that I've asked this question that you can, in some cases, assign the tax benefits to a, a property to the lessor. That is completely dependent on your tax advisor's advice on how to structure that. I would at, get with a tax attorney, if it were me, to have a tax lawyer sit down and draft the, the lease agreement and the control paperwork such that you are afforded those opportunities because in the event the IRS decides to audit you, you want to make sure that you got your T's crossed and I's dotted. But it, the answer to, is it possible? It's absolutely yes. 
Can you do it without any special paperwork? The answer is no. You need to hire a tax attorney to work that out for you, but it is possible to do. I challenge any CPA, and I'm not a CPA, but I've talked to enough tax lawyers on the topic. To say it's absolutely not possible is not true, not accurate, not at all. Uh, So that is a huge benefit. Now, one question I would have, Mike, I wonder if cost segregation would fall into the same category. Because if that could be assigned, that would be huge, especially with a with a crash pad, because you've got infrastructure in regards to furnishings and you know bedding and all the other good stuff. So I'm curious if that would be the case. But at the end of the day, yes, you lose out on appreciation, but you do gain cash flow. So Mike, did you get into this business for appreciation or for cash flow? Right. I went straight for the cash flow. Just right. because you know, we've always talked appreciation is more of a gambler's game. I mean, you go on Zillow right now. I don't know if you've looked at it. It is Zillow, which we we don't give much thought to. However, it is interesting. It is showing that most markets are going down in value right now. Hey, I love Zillow. Zillow says Division Street's worth five hundred seventy-five thousand as it sits today. I love that number. Oh, that's that's true. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Zillow. <laughs> I was in it for the cash flow, and I'm getting the cash flow I wanted. That's right. So you know, like you talked about before, I could spend seventy thousand dollars on a down payments or another five thousand and start up a new one right now. That's right. And in the end, it, so there's, you know, when you buy a house, if you're going to live in it, that's one thing because nobody likes to move. Moving sucks. Mike bought his house in Salida because he, he, if not, he would be moving from house to house to house every six months because nobody wants to rent a property out for more than six months in the town of Salida because it's very seasonal. They make a fortune in certain parts of the year. I get it. I totally get it. We have the same conundrum in Key West. Key West is a town that, you know, I'm, if it was the right house, I may consider pulling the trigger someday buying a house in Key West. But here's the thing where I live now is probably the best location to live in Key West. That's not a brag. That's reality. I am right in the middle of it all, right off of Duval Street, half a block off Duval Street. For I pay $1,500 a month rent to live where I live. If I was to buy that existing house, it'd be a million bucks and I'd be spending 10 grand a month. Uh, for a mortgage payment versus fifteen hundred a month. So you see, I don't need to live in that particular house that bad to pay eighty five hundred dollars a month more. Uh, so in that case, it doesn't make sense. It makes sense for me to rent it versus owning it. Mike's case, uh, it, the numbers weren't as extreme. He also is in a position in that town where appreciation would be huge. There are things about my house that are not perfect. Like I don't have an assigned. I can't park in the street. I can, but it's on the city street in metered parking. I have to have a special pass. I'm getting ready to go back to Key West here on Sunday, and I'm going to be pulling a trailer with me. Well, I can't park a trailer in front of my own house. I have to take it to my buddy's house 30 miles away and drop it off there while I'm in town <laughs> and then come back and get it later because I can't park a trailer on a city street. So that you know, there's there's reasons why I wouldn't do that. But getting back to it, leasing really comes down to control right? It comes down to controlling the asset and what do we need out of it? Mike's business plan is such that he didn't need appreciation for his business model to succeed because it was a cash flow based model. So if you're a home flipper, maybe this wouldn't work for you, but I challenge you this and let's, let's talk about that next, Mike, if we can, uh, because we talk about how is leasing different from owning as far as a control standpoint. Well, that depends on the lease documents. Now, many years ago when I used to flip houses, I didn't have, I didn't know, believe it or not, there was a time I didn't know there was such a thing as hard money lending. I didn't realize that was a thing. And back then I had terrible credit and I thought no one's going to give me a mortgage anyway. So how am I ever going to flip a house? Well, I come up with the idea 
to find broken down houses and say, hey, I want to structure a lease with you such that I will lease the property from you and then I will renovate the property and then I will sell it. And when it sells, you will get this much of the proceeds and I will get the other of the proceeds. And that's how I structured several deals that way. And it worked very well for me. Now to do that, you got to be on task with what can you really get for it? Well, I was, and I was a full-time realtor at the time, so it wasn't hard for me. So let me give you an example. Let's use modern day example. Let's say we're going to, we have a house that retail value fixed up is $500,000. The problem is the house is a total turd. It's worth a hundred grand right now on a best day because it needs everything and the roof is caving in, right? So there's $400,000 in potential equity. The seller of that home doesn't have two nickels to rub together or a pot to piss in. They're never going to have the money to fix that property up. So the first question is, if I wrote them a check for a hundred grand, that's all that they technically deserve because it is a mess. The other 400,000 is really my money. And actually I have to pay, let's say $200,000 to get it fixed up. So a hundred thousand dollar house that's worth 500,000 for simple math, $400,000 equity minus our rehab budget. Let's say we're going to spend another hundred rehabbing it. So we bought it for a hundred. We're going to spend a hundred to rehab it. Now we're in it for two. We could sell it for five. Well, here's the problem. I don't have the first two that I need to buy it and fix it. Could I go to the seller and say, Mr. Seller, I'm going to give you a thousand dollars a month for the next 12 months. And also in the lease, it says that I also have the, that you will And we'll also sign a sales contract that I will buy the house from you for $100,000 12 months from now. In turn, for you agreeing to that, I will then renovate the house, put it on the market, and sell it to an end buyer, which means I will essentially double close. I will close with you on the 100 a year from now, and I will sell it to the next guy for the for the fixed up price, I will bear the cost of rehab. Is that a terrible deal? Now, for you may think I would never do that. I'm, I would hold out for the five. Let's remember, you're broke. You don't have any money to fix this house. So you can hold out for the five all you want, but you ain't got no money. So you're not holding out for anything. Oh, I don't want to wait 12 months for my 100 grand. Well, everybody else wants to give you 70 grand. So is it worth $30,000 more money to wait till a year from now to get your 100 grand? Yes, no, maybe so. Let's not forget, I'm paying you $1,000 a month. That's another $12,000 to wait. So I don't know what you make a year, Mr. Seller, but I'm offering you $42,000 to wait till next year to sell your house. Hmm. What are you paying for a mortgage now, Mr. Seller? What's your rent payment? Would $1,000 a month in extra income help, especially now? Have you been grocery shopping lately, Mr. Seller? I have. I walked out with two bags and spent 300 bucks and I didn't get seafood or alcohol. See guys, having these conversations with these sellers, you can get deals like this done. Yes, you can renovate a house. Well, I'd never do that because then they're going to sell the house from from under me. Not if you have properly structured paperwork. Mm-hmm. You see, we, Mike and I have a secret weapon. It's called Sean Yesner. I could sit down with Sean Yesner and say, Sean, I'm going to do a thing. and I want to buy this house a year from now. In the meantime, I want to lease it from this guy. I would like a, you to craft a bulletproof lease agreement that you will defend proudly defend in court that will basically says that I'll give this guy a thousand bucks, 500 bucks a month, whatever it is for the next 12 months. And then I'm going to give him a hundred thousand to buy it 12 months from now. And then let's put some language and then Sean being the attorney that he is, will say, that's cool. What happens contractually if you don't live up to that end of the agreement? See, Sean asked me these questions to protect me uh, because he's going to make sure that, hey, some contractor doesn't do his thing or the AC guy doesn't show up on time and I go past a year, Sean's going to put language in there that the seller agrees to on day one 
that protects me in the case something happens because, you know, karma. So Sean and I and Mike are going to have these conversations and we're going to draft up a lease and a sales contract that addresses all these what ifs. And then we're going to sit down and talk to the seller. We're going to listen to their problem. We're going to have them sign both the lease and the purchase agreement. And we're going to structure essentially a lease purchase agreement. Now, in this example, the reason why there's a purchase agreement is that Mike and I are doing this play only for appreciation. This would be a flip. This is not a real deal, by the way, guys. This is just a way for to explain it to you. Um, so if you guys are, in, if you're our investors listening, no, we're not doing this right now, but yes, we probably should. We just had a conversation with our syndicate attorney where the market is interesting right now, right? There's a lot of weird stuff going on. Uh, there's the sellers haven't realized that the ball has shifted from one court to another. We're not willing to do deals just for the sake of doing deals. We're not those syndicators that do deals for the, for the acquisition or disposition fee. That's not what we're in the game for. We're in this game to take a pool of money and make it into more money. That's that's our game. So one of the ways that we can do that is by doing essentially these master leases. And we talked to our attorney recently uh, who had said, yes, you can absolutely do that. We can take some of our capital that we have in the fund and we can use that to constructively control an asset such that we can grab the cash flow off of that asset and then give it to our investors. What's that look like? Let's say we buy it, we lease, master lease a duplex. So let's say we go to an owner of a duplex and we say, hey, Mr. Owner, um, you have a duplex, you're getting $900 a month rent per side. And you got all the problems with tenants, toilets, and termites. Tell you what, how about you give us a five-year lease? We will then come in and tidy up the yard. We'll paint the insides of the units. We'll change the countertops. We're going to do these improvements on your property in exchange for you giving us a $500 or five-year lease. And instead of you getting $900 a month rent, we're going to do these improvements at no expense to you. And we're willing to pay you $100 a month more rent. And in year three, we're going to give you a 3% increase. And in year four, we're going to give you a 4% increase. In year five, we're going to give you a 5% increase with the right to extend the lease should we see it fit and the right to assign the lease if we decide that makes sense for us. What do you think? Seller says- You just lowered his risk. Sure. So what does that mean for Mike Tyler and our investors? That means that Mike Tyler and investors don't have to shell out $300,000 to buy the duplex. No, no. Instead, we need to shell out, I don't know, 20, 20 grand to make capital improvements on the property to make it viable for our five-year investment period, right? That's really it. That's about it. So now your cash on cash return is directly tied to the return that comes off of that cash investment. So if we don't have to spend 300, we can only spend 20 and get a similar return. Do we really need ownership? No, because now you can multiply. You can keep going. You could do more right. and more and more because you're putting less money in. So even though you don't have appreciation, your cash flow is ex- exponentially increasing. Absolutely. So if I take that same $300,000 nut that I was getting ready to buy that duplex for to hold on to for a cash flow play, and guys, mm-hmm. hear me when I say this, it is a cash flow play. Because obviously when you master lease, you're giving up the appreciation unless you structure that into your lease such that the property is sold sometime in the future. And in that point, you would you would get a piece of the appreciation. But let's not make it more complex than it needs to be. Our job is to get a, a nice return for our investors. And right now with market conditions, buying becomes a challenge. Lots of apartment syndicates are in deep trouble. Uh, they're doing capital calls. They're, they're, they don't, they can't refi because of the interest rates. Thank God that we're hundred percent debt free. Yeah. We don't have any capital debt on our assets. Uh, we are, we own them free and clear. That's a beautiful thing. 
moving forward, this is a strategy that we that we plan to implement is the master leasing type scenario. Now, as always, if you want more information on that you, and what we're up to, we're doing webinars as, as we go through this. You can always go to cashflowguys.com forward slash webinar. We're going to be putting together a webinar on this business model here soon, uh, probably in the next month or so. For those of you who have questions, if you want to find more information out about how we're doing this, how we're structuring this, then you get on the phone with us. Uh, you can schedule that. You can go to the Cashflow Guys website, book a meeting with us. If you want to invest with us, if you want to take part in the fund, if you're in a, what they call an accredited investor, you want to get involved in, the, in this fund and learn what we're doing to be creative, to earn cash flow in questionable times, then now is the time to head over to cashflowguys.com. Get on our calendar, have a conversation with us. Parting thoughts, Mike? Cash flow, we're able to manufacture. You know, like day one, if we've determined... Here's our business model. We have our cash flow coming in. It's coming in every month, just like my crash pad. It's coming in no matter what. No matter what happens to the economy, to the market, the cash flow comes every month. That's right. That's why it's the Cash Flow Guys podcast, not the Appreciation Guys podcast, right? Right. Because cash flow, we can manufacture, put it together. Appreciation is more like up, down. We don't know what's going to happen. Plus, we didn't mention this fact too. Is cash flow is taxed at a lower rate, is it not? Than appreciation. So especially now with, uh, I hate to say it, with our government severely in debt is yeah. there a chance that the, they're going to raise the tax rate i don't know but yep yep it could be 100 <laughs> <laughs> <100%> chance <laughs> so maybe it is better to have a predictable stream of income rather than guess on appreciation where they're just going to slam you with taxes anyway absolutely uh, one last parting thought i'd like to bring up we had this conversation right before we hit record was for example i've i found these lots billion dollar rocky mountain view Oh, just a yes. few miles from my house. The guy wants uh, $600,000 for four acres. And I'm like, ah, oh, $600,000. I don't have $600,000. I don't have the down payment for $600,000. And and if I did, the risk of paying that mortgage immediately while I'm trying to build it up, it's that's going to hit hard. That's a high risk. So Tyler brought the fact, why don't we go to him and see if he's willing to lease it? So initially, I thought, well, I won't control the property, right? Because it's raw land. Maybe I want to lease it to uh, a brewery. Maybe I want to lease it to a storage, a self-storage unit. I just want the control, right. no matter if I under the title or not. I just want control for multiple years, not just annual. Mm -hmm. uh, so Tyler, you brought up a good point. I never thought of this. Control means something. Control means something to potentially a bank, a lender. So if I'm going to go out and maybe get a small business loan, even though I don't own the property, I might be able to use the uh, the control rights, let's say it's a 50-year lease, as part of the collateral. It might depend on the bank and the lender, of course, but it sounds like it, it, it could be possible. So I don't lose as much as I thought by not owning it. That's a good point. And from the being the owner perspective, and this is another side of it, look at, let's look at it from the other angle. You're the owner of, let's say you become the owner of the land, or this is a selling point to the owner of the land. Mr. Jones, why do you, I know you have these beautiful four acres on a, on a mountain vista overlooking the, the Rocky Mountains. Why are you selling it? Well, I inherited it. I see. How much revenue does it earn you now? Well, nothing. Interesting. You, you pay property taxes? Yes, I do. What if I could turn this property into a stream of income for you without you having to sell it? On day one, tomorrow. Tell me more. Because if you, and here's another thing, have you considered if you sell it now, that later it'll be worth more money and that you would then lose out on that appreciation. As I, have you thought about that? Mr. Jones, what do you do for a living? Uh, I'm an attorney. I understand. Okay. Uh, 
How do you feel about your tax situation right now? You comfortable with the amount of tax you're paying? They'll get really quiet. You do realize, of course, when you sell this, there's such a thing as capital gains. So the government's going to help itself to a large portion of your equity. If I could help you, if we could come together and come up with a strategy that would either reduce or eliminate that tax burden legally, is that something you'd consider? I would say no. Exactly. Well, how, how do I do that? Well, simply put, you don't sell it. You just let me give you money for it. And you could essentially never pay taxes on this property. You'd only pay tax. See, the government so far can't tax you on income you haven't earned yet. That, of course, may change. <laughs> but for now, anyway, I can't believe I actually have to say that out loud. Uh, for now, you're not required to pay tax on money you haven't realized yet. But if you sell the property, you realize that $600,000 and you're going to, their government's going to take 20, 30% of that right off the top because there's no homestead protection. There's nothing. You're just going to write a check. As a matter of fact, you're not even going to write a check. They're going to take it right out of the, the title company is going to write the check for you, but I can change all that because if you don't need the $400,000 net that you're going to take off of this property, and I like using those numbers because they're like, oh my God. And whatever it works out to be exactly is not my problem. I'm not a CPA. I just, I'm a, I, I sell. It's like, Hey, you know, if, I don't know. What is it like a third? Who knows? I have no idea. I didn't say it's a third. I asked him, what is it? A third? I don't know. Let's say it's a third. That means $200,000 goes to the IRS. Well, that money belongs in your pocket, doesn't it? Well, hell yeah. All right. Hell yeah, brother. So how about instead of you writing the check for the government for $200,000, you let me pay you that $200,000 over a period of time and you still get to own the property, which means you could still take any tax benefits that there may be, you know, we can work things out. And I know there's no tax benefits on raw land, but hey, I'm going to do some improvements to this. Maybe we could structure it to where you could give me more favorable lease terms and then take advantage of the tax advantages that I will create for you oh. as the owner of this property. Oh, oh. <laughs> well, we talked about me giving you $1,500 a month rent to rent this four acres so that I could do what I want to do. But what if I gave you $750 instead, but then you get all of the tax benefits of the improvements that I'm going to spend my money to do. And have you ever heard of a thing called cost segregation? Did you realize that if you cost segregate what I improve on your property, that you can get back 20 to 30% of what I spend on rehab Damn, as a tax that. credit, Mr. Attorney? Have you thought about that? And he's like, what? Yeah. I have a friend that does cost segregation. I'll give you his card because I'm willing to do improvements to your property in exchange for a extended duration lease and a favorable lease term. And I will be absolutely tickled pink to assign those tax benefits to you because I'm not going to hold on to the property forever and a day. It's your property after all. Now you've got a captive audience. Wow. And next thing you know, Mike owns a nice piece of land or controls a nice piece of land looking over the Rocky Mountains the pine trees and the moose and whatever else is out there uh, with the little babbling brook going through it or whatever. Now I'm pontificating, of course, but, <laughs> but uh, not pontificating, but expounding where I don't belong. But seriously, that's one strategy you could absolutely implement. And right there, you traded Uncle Sam's benefits. Sure. For a lower lease rate. Absolutely. Wow. Because I'm the guy that is, I'm the fuel that's making, giving that landowner the ability to take advantage of something that he can't currently do now. He doesn't qualify for any tax benefits as an owner of raw land, period, end. No depreciation on raw land. Yeah. Can't depreciate raw land. You can only depreciate the improvement. But if I create an improvement, now he can depreciate. Well, there we go. And then at the end of the lease term, let's say it's 30, 30 years, right? Whether he's around or not, maybe his heirs can inherit it. What right. would the appreciation be compared to four acres of raw land to now 
whatever it is, you know, uh, a brewery, some kind of uh, a campground or whatnot, the appreciation has gone through the roof. So now sure. when he ends the lease, he owns all of that. So it makes, it makes complete sense then for him to charge a lower lease so he gets those benefits in the future. Absolutely. Because to sell will automatically cost him, let's say, I don't know, 30% of whatever he thinks he's going to get. So they're asking 600000 So you're telling me by selling, you're willing to give the government $200,000? You're willing to write that check and then say nothing? I mean, you know, have that conversation. Because I tell you, every time I pull that card out of my back pocket, the seller goes, oh, oh, well, that's what you're doing. Well, capital gains is only 20%. Great. Okay. $600,000, still $120,000. Are you willing to write a $120,000 check just for the privilege of selling this property, knowing that the next day after you sell it, it'll be worth more? Yeah. Wow. Ooh. Well, so. I learned a lot on this episode. You know, I've been doing the, uh, I've been doing this mass release with the crash pad, but that's a, a small scale. But Tyler, you bring up a lot of good points right. of you could purchase something for a much lower monthly rent and still maintain that control by doing a master lease agreement. 100%. So guys, stay tuned for what we got coming in 2024. I'm excited. Mike's excited. I know you're going to be excited, but that all begins by heading over to cashflowguys.com, whacking the button and get on our calendar, have a conversation with us, listen to the podcast, subscribe, tell your friends, uh, like and share all that happy horse shit, right? It's uh, 2023 was a great year for us. Learned a lot of lessons, uh, made some money. Uh, and 2024 is going to be even better. I got to look forward to what's coming and uh, we will see you guys next week. This concludes today's episode. You don't have to wait till the next episode to learn to earn. Head over to cashflowguys.com and contact Tyler and his team for more powerful tips and ideas. So you can start generating multiple streams of income and escape the rat race.